0: My wife brought an amazing word in first service. Get ready. You're going to be convicted. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be encouraged. God's going to just get after you with this word. So just give it up again and welcome my wife to bring the word.
1: Good morning. That's a, that's a lot of pressure. Challenge, encourage. That's a lot of pressure. How are you doing this morning? Are you well? How many people have been with us for the last um, Two weeks. You've been in in service, you've been listening to the messages, how many people have been with us for the last six months or so to a year? Some of y'all are like, this is my first Sunday, I don't even know who you are, right? Um, I want to speak to you this morning. I felt like um, we've been in a season of tremendous change. You know, at the beginning of the year, Pastor Brennan said that this was going to be a year that was marked by faith. And many of us cheered and got excited, but how many people know that that means this is probably going to be a challenging year in some way, or going to be a year where the Lord requires you to do things that are uncommon to you. Hence, you have never been this way before. Hence, you need to strap yourself in because you're on a roller coaster ride with the Lord Jesus Christ into the new. How many people have felt like this year has been like, wow, lots of transition, lots of new, what is going on? you know this has been a year where people have relocated people have moved from you know job to job have moved on to different places and this is a year where the Lord has given such prophetic clarity about where we're going and what he's going to do he is opening not only doors personally but doors corporately how many people were here when Emma was here I mean, they got in here, Emma and Sam, and we're like, basically, we're like, this is what you're going to do. This is who you're going to become. And we were drinking out of a fire hydrant that morning. And many, um, you know, hearts in that moment either kind of raised up, you know, your heart kind of said, yes, so be it, God, let's go for it. Let's take the mountain. Or some of you said, oh my gosh, that's a lot. I'm choking on the water. And then some of you said, I don't know about all that. I just don't know about, that's a lot, that's a lot. But we are in a season where the Lord is releasing promises that he's requiring us to come at those things that he's releasing with faith. Not to back down, not to say, I don't know about all this, not to say, I'm choking on the water, but to have a heart that is full of faith. In fact, he is clothing us with strength and bravery. He literally is clothing us with the most excellent thing that he could clothe you with, clothe you with in this season strength and bravery. How many people like designer clothes but don't want to pay the designer price? Right. I ain't paying all that money for that Louis Vuitton, this Gucci this, right? The best thing that you can be clothed with today is out of Isaiah 11, it's the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We are in that era of time where when God releases a word, we've got to be full of wisdom, full of might. We've got to be brave ones that say, hey God, I got it, yet now I hear what you're saying and I will respond and we will do this. And Pastor Brennan last week spoke out of 1 Corinthians 10. And um, before I read that and recap that, I want to say this. I was in first service and I could feel the spirit of the Lord hovering over hearts. I could feel that this message today was going to be a heart day. This was going to be something that the Lord was going to start to move in this place over hearts. And there are two distinctive responses when God starts to, you know, touch your heart. One is that you say, okay, God, like, would you come? God, would you, the psalmist said, would you scrutinize my heart? Would you look in my heart and see what is going on? And would you help me navigate that? Would I be sensitive to your movement over my heart? And then the second one is to hit the snooze button that says, I'm going to disconnect right now because that's a lot. And I don't know how I can do all of that, and it hurts a little bit too much, and I just need to move myself away from that. I want to challenge you this morning that this word that I'm about to bring to you is a word that you need spiritual sensitivity to. You need to be able to open up your heart. In fact, God is saying, I give you an opportunity today to surrender yourself again. And to say, okay, God, like, I think I know, you know, I've been here a little bit. I've been here a lot. I've been choking on water. I've just been like, what's going on? But I'm willing to listen to you today. How many people say, I'm willing to listen? So PB last week spoke out of 1 Corinthians 10, 6 to 12 in the ESV, and it says this. Now these things took place as an example for us. That means pay attention. Let's see what the example is. That we may not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 20,000 fell in a single day. That's a lot of bodies. We must not put Christ to the test. Don't provoke him as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpent. Nor grumble complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. It happened as an example were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, last statement here, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That means anybody who thinks he's good and everything is good, take heed lest you're the one that falls out. So once again, that passage of scripture, he spoke last week, we're not to engage in sexual immorality, we're not to provoke the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not to to be given to idolatry, grumbling and complaining. I won't tell you, well, I'll tell you, I was pinned to the wall on the grumbling and complaining. You know, you look at yourself, you're like, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, and then you're like, oh Lord, I'm doing that. And you got to repent, right? That hit me last week. And when Pastor Brendan was speaking last week, I was watching him and I was caught up into a vision as I was watching him preach. I was caught up into a vision and I saw in the spirit, it was actually superimposed on top of him. I saw in the spirit two lightning strikes that hit um, the same object. It was like a lightning strike from the left and a lightning strike from the right that hit the same object. And I sat there and I was kind of trying to figure out, I was like, God, I don't understand. It's not raining outside. Is it raining inside? No, it isn't. You know, what is going on? As I saw these two bolts of lightning hit the same thing. And I heard the spirit of the Lord say that he was coming to deal with a particular, two particular strongholds, two particular strongholds that are like two sides to the same coin. And that the Lord was going to begin to pull out the root systems out of the people of God that were anchored so deeply in this stronghold. And I was just, you know, as I heard him whisper to me what they were, I actually thought to myself, I don't even know if I can get up and talk about that because I feel like some days I'm in it, some days I'm not. I'm trying my best, some days I do it. But the Lord said, this is part of humanity, This is part of what I I am bringing and I'm 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 causing my people to long for me and to find me in this place of longing in this place in these deep places with me so that I can uproot this from their lives, and I and I started to see this thing honestly this thing like. It, body, it like choke slammed me. Is that what we call it? Choke slammed me to the ground this week. As I sat in my private time crying out to God because I know that these two things have been a familiar friend to me in my journey in God. I knew that these two things were so a part of so many people's lives. Probably 100% of people experience this and it feels like it's so a part of who you are that to separate yourself out from this thing is a challenge and a daily challenge. It felt like these two things were, it's just like, well, these two things will always be with us. I'll never get to conquer this thing because it's just part of life and it's just part of who I am. And the spirit of the Lord said to me that he's coming to deal with the stronghold of insecurity and pride that the Lord has said, it was like the Lord said enough of the challenge and the debate and the, that is the internal battle for many. That the Lord said that he wanted to uproot this thing and give us tools to uproot these things. Because if we are looking at entering into the promises of God over our lives, if we're looking at becoming who God's called us to be, expansion, promotion, forward movement, that these two things were crippling. In fact, the Lord said these two things are like standing, standing in uh, quicksand and they keep you stuck, at, like sticky um, tack on your shoes or like gum. And it slows your pace and it causes you not to become your best self. Insecurity and pride. And I heard the Lord say, yeah, all the women will say, yeah, I'm a little bit insecure. And guys will say, oh, I deal with, you know, male PMS, pride, money, and sex. But the Lord said, both of them are experienced by both genders. And both of them, he's coming to uproot. And it was like, it literally was like, it was like two sides. How many people actually carry money around? You know, we carry money around. Some of our o- older, more wise generation. Right? The rest of us are like, you know, scanning phones and stuff. You know, the Lord said to me, "This is a a 25 cent. It's not a 25 cent, actually. It's a ten pence. I was in, in Europe, so I had some British coinage. I couldn't even find a 25 Canadian cent. And the Lord gave me this picture. That it's like. Actually, I can't do this. Uh, Pastor Samuel, you want to come and try this for me? You know, when you flip the coin, you're like heads or tails, right? We're gonna we're gonna see. Flip the coin for me, please. You flipped it on the back of your hand. What are we? At? Heads or tails? Heads. The spirit of the Lord said to me, heads is like pride. Um, and, that, and pride was, oh, you're standing here? Oh, no, you're going to flip the coin again. Just stay right here. <laughs> so when we're talking about, uh, I'll talk about heads, heads and tails. That heads and tails, pride uh, being heads, um, insecure being tails, were both rooted in the place of putting confidence in the flesh. Both of them. So he flipped it. He got heads. Heads says this. It says that in me there's self-assurance that comes from possessing attributes that supposedly determine my worthiness. Flip it again. Let's see what we get. Tails. There we go. So tails is insecurity. And it's insecurity comes from not possessing those very attributes. And that we would go about, this is the picture the Lord gave me, you can flip the coin again, just keep flipping the coin, that many of us, every single day, it was like we're battling with a sense of, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, because I don't have this, I don't have that job, I'm not living on bridal path, I don't have this kind of money, I don't look this way, and then some of you were experiencing that, and you're like, you know, trying your best to separate that from who you are, you're trying to know who you are in Christ, and then there are other people that are like, I got the stuff, and I am the stuff. And the Lord has issues with both. Thank you. The Lord has issues with both. You can clap for him. You can clap for him if you want to clap for him. And in our quest for stability, because everybody's looking for stability, we attempt to make ourselves feel better through the method of comparison. Through the me- So it's like if, you know, if, if. Um, today I feel you know good about myself and I got no blemishes in my face and I'm crushing it on my job and I'm good and then I scroll into social media and I see somebody who looks better than me or whatever I begin to compare myself and I either feel less than or more than and the Lord says he's coming to deal with that because of where we're going Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 3 to 16, he said this, we are those who boast in what Jesus has done, not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. It's true that I once relied on all that I had become. He did. He did. He's like, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I had a reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments. And then he goes on to list them more than others for my pedigree was impeccable. I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel as the son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. He's like, this is my, my race makes me good. I was circumcised eight days after my birth. I don't know why he's excited about that. He's boasting about that, but he was circumcised. He was raised in a strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living separate and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning the righteousness of the Torah, no one surpassed me. I was the best. I was without a peer. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of the truth i persecuted the mes- uh, messianic sorry believers with religious zeal yet all of the accomplishments that i once took credit for i have now forsaken them and i regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing jesus as my lord anytime that you're you're thinking everything you've done is better than knowing god and being who he is and being who you are in him we have to we have to examine that To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now. It stinks. So that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. Not my greatness, his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not cling to my own righteousness based on keeping the written law. My righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. Last statement. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. I continually long, look at the language, to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. Now, I love what Paul says in this. He goes on to say this, that we need to not put confidence in the flesh, but our confidence needs to be in the pursuit of the knowledge of God, the power of the cross, and that power working in you. And I love what it says at the end there. It talks about his greatness, that we're embracing God as Lord, in all of his greatness. Now this whole issue of confidence in the flesh is an issue, why am I going at this? Because And I'm going at it with such intensity in my spirit because I saw it come like lightning because what the enemy wants to do is keep the believers in a battle over, and it's internal battle over confidence in the flesh because it is an issue for the believer of identity and authority. Because if you are not understanding that you are loved, accepted, you've been chosen, you are royal priesthood, he went to the cross for you, he died for you, and then he left you with authority to rule and to reign. If you don't have that understanding, then we live a subpar Christian life. You live a life that you wonder, why can't I amount to more than I, I you know, the more than I'm doing? I have big dreams, but I never actualize them. It is because, my friend, you are in the quicksand of not understanding the value that God places on you or diminishing it by comparison or overthinking your capacity. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. We're gonna get into it. So if your inner dialogue is constantly filled with prideful thoughts and insecurities, you never punch through to the next level of promotion, expansion, and rulership. You just don't. You kind of make your way through life. Let's talk about insecurity. What is insecurity? And let me say this first. I told First Service this. How many people went to church in the days that you took notes? Right? Remember remember note-taking, notepad? You actually wrote things down in church? Now people are like, write things, half a generation's like, what do you mean? You guys actually did that? Yeah, we did. This is a message that I want you to jot down what the Spirit of the Lord is hovering over in your heart. Insecurity, it refers to a profound sense of self-doubt, a deep feeling of uncertainty about your basic worth and your place in the world. Insecurity, actually I'll say this about insecurity and pride, they're both... Um, they, they're both diseases to the believer that cause an obsessive amount of self-focus, where you're constantly. It's not that you can't think about yourself and not think about yourself. Well, it's how often and how obsessed you are about that. It is constantly self-conscious. The insecure man or woman lives in constant fear of rejection and deep, uh, a deep uncertainty about whether his or o- her own feelings. And desires are legitimate. Characteristics of those who are insecure, they're sensitive. They're like incredibly sensitive. Insecure people are super, super sensitive. Not all sensitive people are insecure, but insecure people are sensitive to a fault. Everything bothers them. Everything is about how you looked at me the wrong way, how you didn't say hi when I was there, how this person is not giving me that. Like you're just so sensitive. One of the biggest roots of insecurity is anxiety and fear. Fear of men, fear of the future, fear of rejection, fear of failure. So it's like literally fear is around you like a whirlwind that in any opportunity or any circumstance, you are projecting fear and you're abiding in fear. Your job, your your boss tells you, I want to give you a promotion. You're like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know. And you've been believing the Lord for more money. And you literally talk yourself out of that promotion that the Lord is trying to bring to you. Once again, I am releasing this because of what the Lord is about to do in this congregation and with individuals. We gotta uproot this thing of fear rejection because if you fear rejection, the very thing you fear will come upon you. You will cause people to reject you. Perfectionism, you always have to look right, say the right things, be right, do the best. You're overtly concerned about what people always think about you. Insecure, you suffer from chronic ability to make decisions even when the choices have little consequences. Should I choose the black pants or the blue pants? Well, they kinda look the same, it's navy. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Lots of like there, like, it's a lot. But some of you live in that cage in your own head. And God wants to set you free. Why do we operate this way? Often, thank you for asking. Why do we, why is that so a part of the human experience? And why does God need to heal this? Like why? I'll tell you why. Can I tell you why 100% of us go through this and live in this? Number one, insecurity comes when you have instability at home. So in your upbringing, if you were in a household that had divorce, alcoholism, arguing, fighting, um, you moved all around from here to there, and it was not stable, that produces insecurity. Your feet are not both on the ground instability. So what happens is, is we need the Lord to touch our hearts in that. Because what that says to you, it says, I'm on my own and nobody will take care of me. So what happens in that? Then you begin to rise up because you're feeling not secure, not stable, and you try to make your own way in the world. Instability in the home. Isaiah 46 verse 4 in the NLT says this, I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you. I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. That's the word of the Lord for those of you who have come out of homes that were a mess. Homes that felt like hell on earth. Or homes that just didn't have, were not, you know, raised by two parents. All that kind of stuff that brought instability. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I will be your God for your lifetime. When your hair is old and gray, I will carry you. But we've got to find him as our source to mend that instability in our heart. Another thing contributing is significant loss. If you've lost somebody, 100% of people on planet Earth will go through significant loss, 100%. I personally went through a year of hell, I call it the year of hell, hell where I lost a mentor at the top of the year, I lost a baby, and I lost my dad in about an eight month window. It was a hard year, a year of loss. And what happens when you go through loss over and over again, you never feel secure. In fact, I felt a little bit like this pulpit that's wobbly. When my dad died, I felt like I had this prevailing feeling of having a screw that was loose, not quite tight. Just always felt unstable, insecure, significant loss. Another thing that's a contributor is rejection. Everybody faces rejection at some times. The boss says, no, you're not cut out for the job. You know, the guy says, not you, I want to be with your best friend. You know, oh, okay. You know, whatever the case may be, right? Everybody faces rejection. But the reality is, and this is what happens in rejection. They say, I don't want you, and your response is, you're right, you don't. And that kind of thought, that belief system, um, it fragments you. It says, no, nobody wants me. I don't belong to anybody. No one's going to pick me. You know, maybe you were that kid at the dodgeball, you know, I was going to say dodgeball conference. I don't think they have dodgeball conferences. Dodgeball game, you know, when they're trying to pick teams and everybody's picking everybody else. And you're lanky and you're small and nobody's picking you because you don't have an athletic bone in your body. And you're feeling rejected. And basically you're yelling out to the whole world, yes, nobody wants me, you're right. That brings insecurity. But Isaiah 41 verse 9 to 10 says this, I've called you back from the ends of the earth, saying you are my servant. I've chosen you and will not throw you away. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious hand. That's the word of the Lord to that. But we've got to identify and say, yeah, no, I got a little bit of rejection in my garden. I got a little bit of instability. I just feel like there's a screw that is loose. Another one, a contributing factor, is dramatic change. How many people were on planet Earth for the last four years? Hands up. Dramatic change brings insecurity. Even to the most confident of us, it brings insecurity. Why? Because what it does, if you don't allow the Lord to process the trauma of that season, it it causes you to become addicted to dread. So you're always anticipating something's about to fall apart. How many people have been there, like, oh, it's just another two weeks, or oh, this job is not gonna come through, or oh, this is not gonna happen, because of dramatic change? It causes insecurity. There are a few others, personal limitations. Maybe there's something, you've got a physical disability, um, you know, personal disposition. Maybe, you know, you, one arm is shorter than the other arm. Like there's something, you know, that you feel like when you stand in the mirror, you're saying, that's wrong with me. These are things, these are things that contribute to insecurity. Now here's the thing, you can have these things going on. 100% of us have these things going on. Where does it tip the scale into sin? This is where it tips the scale into sin. Is that if those things are not resolved, then number one, you become distracted with self. What does that mean? It interrupts your ability to love God and love others well. How do I know this? Well, you are, you know, it's like I'm not, here's an example. It's like, oh, I can't, you know, I'm not that great. You know, I'm a female and I'm a black female. I don't know if they're going to have, you know room for me at the table and whatever whatever and God says I'm about to open a door for you here's what I need you to do I need you to be obedient when I say move you move and then what happens because he says you know there's a whole crew of people in there that I want you to minister to your voice has value I need you in the room And then what happens with insecurity is you begin to, you're obsessing about, I can't do it. See, I'm the only black female in the room. I don't know. They're going to hate me. And the rhetoric, the internal dialogue goes on to the point where I now disobey God. And the people who are waiting for me on the other end of my obedience do not receive what God has set me up for. Right. So what happens in that is that obsessive, compulsive thought process about yourself and your inadequacies, you miss God, you're disobedient because you feel awkward and small. And we're in a season where the Lord Jesus Christ is about to issue commands where there is favor and where there is anointing that we have to rise up and respond with faith. So if we don't deal with that, we can become distracted with self. This was me in my whole young adult life. I, I feel like I'm still a young adult. Maybe I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a older young adult, right? Where I would be so obsessed because of insecurity with myself, where everything became about what I couldn't do, how they looked at me, and how you know I wasn't this and I wasn't that, literally. Literally, it was just such a running dialogue in my mind that I I felt like the Lord had to so many times with great men and women of God that loved me to jerk me out of an underscore of defeat and insecurity and be like, no, you're better than that. Like, well, stop it. In fact, I've had ministers in my life or people that love me that, that rebuked me, rebuked me hard you know, kind of slammed me to the ground, slapped me in the face and said, that is not who God's made you to be. Like, stop thinking small. Thought, stop putting yourself into a cage, walking in and out of a cage of confinement. Another fruit or a sinful thing where insecurity becomes sinful um, is just that whole concept of we insult our value. We become dissatisfied with self, which really is I become dissatisfied with you, God. God, you, the one who creator of the universe that created me in your image, you didn't do a good job. Is basically what we we're saying. You, you didn't do a good job insulting our value. You basically chronically live in a zone where you say, I'm not worth it, and you're not really who you say you are. I'm not worth it, you're not who you say you are. And that can tip you into sin. Another one, jealousy. The Bible says in James 3.16 in the Amplified, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is, listen to this, disorder, unrest, rebellion, and every evil thing and moral degrading practice where there is jealousy. Now, how many people have ever been jealous of somebody? Come on now. All the jealous people. No, sorry. <laughs> you ever been jealous of somebody, Right? Jealousy moves you into a place where now there is unrest, rebellion and every evil and morally degrading practice. I lived some of my life in this realm where I was jealous. I was like, how come they didn't get to do it? And all the how comes come out, right? How come, how come, how come, how come, how come? Then it's like, you think, you think, you think, you think you're better than us, you think. And that thing The Bible says that every evil, unrest, rebellious thing, moral degrading practice is in that when we're jealous. So that's how insecurity can tip the scale. So some of us wonder, why am I stuck? Why can't I move forward? Because your eyes are chronically on yourself and how you compare yourself to someone else. And it has produced a level of jealousy. And God says, no, 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 I got a lane for you. You got your own lane with your name on it. Insecurity will cheat us of reaching and operating consistently at maximum potential. It will turn those in community around you into threats. It'll turn people in your community around you into threats. And this is important. Why? Because here at Toronto City Church, God is about to elevate ones at different paces and stages, so we don't all go up at the same time sometimes. It's like Monica gets a new job, God promotes her, favors on her. Then it's like Simone, something God does something there. Then it's like, uh, this person over here, that person over here. And the thing about it is, is God does this so brilliantly in the family of God. He says, you've got to learn to sit, look, celebrate and know that your day's coming at some point. Right. And if you are insecure, you can't celebrate people well. Never, you just, you're just, you unrest. There's so much unrest. I love that word that the Bible uses in that scripture because he says there's, uh, you're restless. And then you become discontented. You just get angry because you're just like, and then you start, you know, you start saying, you know, Pastor Britton brings somebody up here to preach and, and, you know, it wasn't you. And then you're like, look at him. You're like, his pants don't even fit right. You know, you start to find randomness to be like, why is he there and I'm not there? When we feel insecure, it is because something threatens our sense of identity and belonging. This is why the battle is over identity and authority, because when you know who you are and you know that there's a seat at the table for you and that you have something unique and distinctive that God's called you to do and that that ceiling, the kingdom of God is not frugal, it is limitless, then you realize I can celebrate anybody at any given juncture because I know my day's coming. Legit. Put you in a place where every victory and every win is a win for you and a win for them. I used to be me. I'm going to tell you a story about me. It used to be me. I used to, and the women women may know this, guys, you do it the same way. I remember seasons of my life years ago where I would go into a room and I would scan the room and I'd be like, is everybody, who in the room, am I prettier than everybody in the room? Literally, I would scan based on my own analysis. And if there, I was prettier than all the girls in the room, I'd be like, look at me, man. See, I can command a room. I'm prettier than all the girls. And then if I went in the room and I thought a girl, once again, in my own head, thought a girl was pretty, all these girls were prettier than me, I'm like, "Whoa, is me. I am ugly. You know what I mean? Which is rubbish. Because here's the reality of realities. There will always be somebody prettier. There will always be, like if you measure that in your world, you will never be content in the household of faith. Let's talk about pride. It's a heart attitude expressed in an unhealthy, exaggerated attention to self and an elevated view of one's ability, accomplishments, position, or possessions. It's interesting, in the scripture, I remember thinking about this, I remember seeing this somewhere, that there are 10 Hebrew words that come to describe pride, and about two Greek words that are generally used in the Bible to, to describe it, and in fact... In the Hebrew, there is a connotation that when you are prideful, you are deliberately insensitive to others. Like, pride equals insensitive to others. So if you find yourself not sensitive, empathy, compassionate to others, there is is a connotation in that Hebrew breakdown that is tied to the word pride. 2 Corinthians 26, verse 1 to 16. I love this story about a king. Let's pick it up in verse 1, and it says this. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. How are you going to make a 16-year-old king anyways and not expect anyhow? He built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After the king supped with his fathers, Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecolia of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Turn to somebody and said he did what was right. According to all that his father, Mezeah, had done, he set himself to seek God in the days of Jer- uh, Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. The Bible says this guy sought the Lord God made him prosper. He he and I'll tell you what he did. Once again, he was a king at 16. He ruled in Jerusalem for 52 years. He sought the Lord, he prospered. He was successful. The scripture goes on to say he was success success at war. His fame spread all over the land. He was in fact the Bible says he was innovative and he was intelligent. He helped Judah prosper. He bit, built towers, fortified them, dug wells, had livestock, farmers, vine dressers. He was a commander over a whole entire army. The guy sounded like Gen Z. I mean, this guy was doing it. He was crushing it. He was innovative. He had such levels of favor with God. Let's drop down to verse 15 to 21 in the message. This is what it says. Everything, to seem to, everything seemed to go his way. But then the strength and success went to his head. Arrogant and proud, he fell. One day, contemptuous of God, he walked into the temple of God like he owned it and took over burning incense on the incense altar. The priest Azariah, backed up by 80 brave priests of God, tried to prevent him. They tried to say, dude, what are you doing? Because he thought, like, he was like, I'm going to go and do this. They tried to prevent him. They confronted Uzziah, you must not, you cannot do this Uzziah, only the Aaronite priests, especially consecrated for the work, are permitted to burn incense. Get out of the God's temple, you are unfaithful and a disgrace. But Uzziah, hear this, censer in his hands, was already in the middle of doing it, and he got angry. The Bible says he angrily rebuffed the priest. He lost his temper Angry words were exchanged. And then even as they quarreled, a skin disease appeared on his forehead. That must have been a sight. As soon as they saw it, the chief priest Azariah and the other priest got him out of there as fast as they could. He hurried out. He knew that God then and there had given him the disease. Uzziah had his skin disease for the rest of his life and had to live in quarantine. Once again, we understand quarantine. He was not permitted to set foot in the temple of God. His son Jotham, who managed the royal palace, took over the government of the country. Now, why does this story so stand out to me? It was that he had a track record of serving God, seeking the Lord. God made him famous. God let the fame of this man's name go out through all the land. He blessed him and graced him with innovation, with an ability to command an army, digging wells, building towers, all these things. But the Bible says that all of it went to his head. It went to his head. It got to him. Uzziah then began to take liberties of going outside of what God had set up and sought to do something God did not ordain. What does pride do? Pride begins to say, I got this. I know this. I'm going to do my way. I am strong. I don't really need God. Pride says, no, no, no. Like there are, there's no accountability. You start to do things that you think are right despite what God says is wrong. There's a man by the name of A.W. Tozer, and he said this. He said, The most dangerous trap is just living and forgetting that God exists. And when we're in pride, once again, the flip side of the coin to insecurity, we begin to live and say, I can do what I need to do. We begin to make our opinion law and legal and just, get, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do me, right? That statement, I'm gonna do me and I'm good. And pride is a great sin because it presumes to possess excellence and glory that belongs to God alone. It says, I know better, and I'm going to do me. What are the dangers of pride, Toronto City Church? Because once again, God wants to erode this from our hearts so we can rise up in obedience to what he's asking us to do without insecurity and pride. Dangers. Most prideful people are unaware that they're prideful. That was the king. He, he actually was like, he, he actually was blinded by his own accomplishments. And that, so he started to step out in something and he didn't recognize he was in pride. Obadiah 1 verse 3. Some of you are like, Obadiah? There's an Obadiah in the Bible? I know you thought that. I know you thought that. And NLT says this. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and you make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us up way here, or who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. When you're pride, you're deceived by your own pride because you're living the best life. Or you, you have what you think makes you worthy. And you move in such a way where you don't even remember that it is God. It is in God that you live and move and have your being. The very fact that you are sucking air on planet earth in this given moment is because a creator God saw fit to hold your body together, all the nuclear elements of who you are. The, the, The fact that you're not burned up by the sun because God, creator God, set the sun on a particular axis that would not scorch the earth. Like, we have to remember as people. we got to humble ourselves and remember there is a God that we will give account to. And we live and move and have our being because of him. Number two, pride. Dangers of pride. Pride gives way to conflict and arguments. The king is there arguing with the guys. He got mad when they challenged him. How many people just get mad when people are challenging you? Perhaps you have pride. You know, I, I had to reckon this in my own heart. In my own marriage, my husband would be like, I don't think you should. I don't know. What is it? He'd be like, I don't think you should. I'd be like, who are you to tell me? Leave me alone. You know, pride. When you have that, who are you? why, Why are you trying to? You know all of us. We all do the same thing, right? Sucking teeth and doing all this kind of stuff. Proverbs 13.10 says, wisdom opens your heart to receive counsel, wise counsel, but pride closes your ears to advice and gives birth to only quarrels and strife. Some of you are asking, why am I always in arguments with people? Maybe because you're prideful. I'm, not, I'm reading you the Bible. This is not my opinion, okay? Don't, don't come for me. Another th- danger of pride, you start to think you don't need to ask for forgiveness because you can't recognize your own sinful condition. The king, he didn't even think he, knew he was doing something wrong. He was scepter in hand, doing in the temple of the Lord. And pride blinds us from recognizing that every single day we need to say, God, search me and know me. Have I strayed from you? You know, when, when is the last time you went to a conference on, forgive, on, on ask on repentance? Like we're all like into the like this, I call it the designer kingdom. We're all into the designer Gucci kingdom. You know, we like the skinny jeans and the lights and the this and the this. When's the last time you were at a conference that talked about, you know, coming back to the Lord in the place of repentance, daily repentance? Last well, two dangers, you start to look down at others as less worthy or less able. Let me say this to you very clearly. Pride is at the center of prejudice. And racism. Because you begin to say, I'm better than you because my race is better or this is better or this is better. You begin to look at people in a different way. And, church family, I'm not pointing a finger at you, not looking at my own heart. There are things in me that I do not like about the judgments that I make about other people, but it's prideful. And the Lord needs us to repent. In fact, it says this in James 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What a strong word. He opposes the proud. So if we think we can tolerate this, it means that you're standing on the other side of a fence you don't want to be on. Because he opposes the pride, but he gives grace to the humble. We're in a season where many of us are going to need great grace to come through the darkness of the age that's coming. And if we think we know best, my friends, we need the grace of God daily. Proverbs 16, verse 18, the ESV says this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Charles Spurgeon, um, the man of God, he said this in a quote. He described pride as an all-pervading sin. He said, pride is so natural to the fallen man that it springs up in his heart like weeds in a well-watered garden. Isn't that interesting? Like weeds in a well-watered garden. So some of you are great at stewarding your job, great at stewarding what God's calling you to do. Your garden is lush, but you have pride there, and it's like that weed in the well-watered garden. It's every touch is evil. You may hunt down... You may hunt down this fox and think you have destroyed it. And lo, your very exaltation is pride. None have, have more pride than those who dream that they have none. Pride is a sin with, ten, with thousands of lives. It seems impossible to kill it. How many people feel that sometimes? You're doing your best to remain humble and here you are in pride. You know, it's like the coin. You're just flipping and one day you're good and thing. next thing you made a statement. You walk away from a conversation. You're like, why did I say that? Like why? Why did I say that? Like that was so prideful. Because pride promotes a self-driven, self-promoted, and self-centered lifestyle. So some of you, are like, how do I know I have pride? Just a couple things: you're often anxious about life in the future. You tend not to trust God. You're overly conscious about yourself. You fear man more than you fear God. You often feel secure and you don't want to step out or try new things because you're afraid that you will fail or look dumb. Self-critical, overly competitive. How many people like a good competition? Oh, nobody wants to admit it now. eh? Everyone like, I don't know. I'm not saying being competitive is all prideful, but it can be. You You feel special or superior because of what you do, what you have, your house, your nice shoes, your this. You feel like you're better than other people because you have things. You're insensitive to others. You have a hard time listening to ordinary people. You're like, why are you talking? In your mind, you're like, why are you talking to me? You're annoyed. You listen to teaching with other people in mind. You know, some of you are sitting here thinking, <laughs> somebody, I know you, are, you know, you're, you're like, you should be hearing this. Pride. <laughs> We've all done it. You're easily angered or offended. In Proverbs 16, the Bible lists seven things that the Lord hates. Pride is one of them. He hates it. I like to say it this way the picture of pride and insecurity, the same coin that we're tossing and we're flipping day in and day out, is like driving in a car. When you're driving in a car and you're insecure, you're not seat belted in, you're not fixed into the seat. So you're rolling all over the place. How many people have been in a car without a seatbelt? You turn a corner and your body's going this way. You know, you, someone slams on the brakes, you hit your face on the front thing. That is like insecurity. Pride is like in that same car, you're flooring it, you're driving at 180 on the QEW and you have nowhere, you have no navigation. Siri's not telling you where you're going. So you're in a high speed drive with no clue where you're going because you think you know where you're going, but really he is the one as believers that navigates our future. So when you're bumping all over the car and when you're driving at a high speed and you're, you're all over the place, here's the reality of it. It's dangerous. And God doesn't want you in that place. Our culture creates and curates an environment of insecurity and pride. But we've got to choose a superior reality as kingdom citizens. So thank you for asking, and I'll tell you what you just asked. How do you get unstuck of pride and insecurity? Actually, I'll tell you one story first before I tell you how you get unstuck. And we'll be real quick and we'll be done. Um, I was traveling with this speaker, a well-known speaker, about in 2019... And she asked me to travel with her uh, to South Africa. And we, um, I needed to fly to Dallas and then from Dallas, we were flying Dallas, Dubai, about 16 hour flight, Dubai to Johannesburg, another nine hours. And um, so me, so Toronto, Dallas, Dallas, Dubai, Dubai, South Africa, long haul. And I remember her saying to me, hey, Sharon, you know, um, just so you know, I always travel first class and, you know, this is how we do it because she's older in age and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I whispered to my husband, I said, if I'm going to accompany her and go and be a help to her, I might, me too need to travel first class. (laughs) Me too need to be in the luxury seat, you know? And how many people know that's expensive? And it was Emirates. So I'm here business class, business first class, business class, you know, premium economy, economy. You know, uh, um, business class in Emirates is like you got your whole little, you know, hotel reality in the place. So I'm sitting there. I'm enjoying, you know, it's like nonstop beverages. When they come to bring you your food, it's a white tablecloth, and you lean back. They lay it out. I'm enjoying it. I have actual knives and forks. You know, not these plastic or or wooden stuff they're giving us today. Tasting wood in my mouth, you know? And I'm enjoying this life. I'm enjoying it. And I remember the Lord, and I remember I traveled first class on another flight because I I did a long haul um, to um, South Korea, whatever. I've traveled first class. But I remember in this whole opportunity and kind of being like this, a little like, you know? And watching people go to coach and be like, (laughs) feeling great about myself, right? And traveling again, like I said, South Korea, do you know, whatever, you know, I get, you know, the service, I'm at the front of the line, I'm watching everybody queue up and I'm there feeling great about myself, getting my bottle of water. Ma'am, can I help you? Yes, you can, you know, all these things. (laughs) And I started to develop a prideful attitude. I started to think that I am like, who are they? Not recognizing I had to pay good money for my first class ticket, right? Had this attitude, and I remember the next time that I, I traveled in economy, I remember being like, what on earth, <laughs> like, like, literally, and I felt this sense of entitlement. And the Lord began to deal with my heart because it is in the simple things of life that sometimes we get caught by pride. We don't even realize we're there and we're there looking at other folk like, I was the other folk like two days ago, right? <laughs> one, one great experience and now I feel like I'm, I'm a celebrity, right? So how do we get unstuck from confidence in the flesh? What you have and this fixation on what I have or do not have. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 6 says this. Now please listen. This is Paul again. I believe it is. For I need to address an issue. For I'm making this personal appeal to you by the gentleness and self forgetness of Christ. I am the one who is humble and timid, face to face with you, but bold and outspoken when at a safe distance away. He's basically in that part defending his ministry because they're saying, Oh, when you're away from us, Paul, you're all bold and you're all hard, right? But when you're, with, when you're at Talking to us in person, you're timid. And he says to them, he says this, now I plead with you that when I come, don't force me to take a hard line with you, which I'm willing to do, by daring to confront those who mistakenly believe that we're living by the standards of this world and not by wisdom's power. For although we live in the natural realm, we do not wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aim. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bows in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion, those wayward thoughts, as soon as, hear this, you choose complete obedience. So what is Paul saying here? Number one, he's saying reject living by the world's standards. The culture says be, compare yourself with each other. The Bible says those who compare themselves with themselves are unwise. Half of us scroll through Instagram in the comparison reality day in and day out. In our TV programs and all of this, there's manipulation tactics to say, oh, if you take this, you'll be skinnier, you'll be prettier, you'll be this, you'll be this, you'll be this. And the Bible says we need to reject the world's standards and its norms. What does that mean to reject the obsessive amount of time you focus, meditate, and work on yourself? Don't get me wrong, we need to, and, and this is the, the balance on it, we need to work on ourselves, we need to grow in God, we need to do all that. But if your eyes are only on yourself and not God, you will be puffed up with pride or you'll find yourself coming up wanting. We gotta find the balance. It's interesting. Years ago, women would compare themselves to other women on their street before social media. So we were like, oh, Mary, four houses down, she knows how to cook better than I do. She's prettier than I am. Look at her kids. I only have one. She has five. Wow. Now we're comparing ourselves to Sandy in Iceland, who's living on a farm, like... (laughs) You know what I mean? Like now it's millions and millions of people that you've never met, you don't know, but yet here you are comparing yourself. The Bible says we need to reject that and we need to find our identity in him. We need to go on a journey of discovery. That's why the Apostle Paul said in the first passage that I read, everything about the Christian life is that we would boast in him and him alone and we would reject any other reality from our past that says, I'm amazing because I have this, do this, and I look this way. He says, our true source of identity comes in him. Second one here is that we have been given spiritual weapons energized with divine power to effectively dismantle strongholds. You need the spirit of God to deal with insecurity and pride. There's no other way. It is so deeply embedded into us as human beings that the only way to work that out is when we allow the, the power of God to begin to reveal to you the things that you are stepping into to heal your heart and to help you uh, pull out the weeds out of your garden. So for those of you who are constantly beating yourself up because you're like, I'm too prideful, or oh my gosh, you're know you journaling every year, every other year, you read back on your journals, it's like, I just, God, help me to see myself well, help me, because that's many of us. It's a constant narrative because we're trying to do it in our own strength and we need the spirit of God. Here is a tool for free. Some of you just need to spend countless hours praying in the spirit. You don't know. It's like, God, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I don't know how to get out of the cycle of my head that I think I'm better than Anybody else? Pray in the spirit. Because you begin to pray forth the perfect prayers. When you don't know what to do, sometimes just praying on it helps you to see what God's doing. Get in community. Oh, man, that's another one. Number three, it says in this passage of scripture to demolish deceptive fantasies that oppose God to break through arrogant attitudes, to capture thoughts and make it bow. Some of you are letting randomness float around your mind. Randomness. There's thoughts everywhere and everywhere. The parachute thoughts. that are just everywhere. It's the parachute thoughts of the guy that is, is, is jumping out of a plane. The parachute, you know, they strap the thing. with uh, uh, well, The thing, what's the thing? The parachute. It's <laughs> kidding. We need to go home. The parachute. And the guy's jumping out of the plane. He's looking for the, the target to land. Some of you guys are letting that... Parachuter land on your front lawn, that thought that says, I'm better or I can't. The Bible says you got to capture those thoughts and, and like prisoner of war and make it bow to the knowledge of God. So what arrogant opinions and attitudes are you harboring? Because arrogance and pride stops us from seeing clearly. So does insecurity. Romans 12, verse 2, and we're almost done. It says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eye. The thing about it is, is we can live a life that's perfect in our eyes, but be not perfect in his eye. God wants to change the way we think. Church, this is a season of thinking differently. So when the prophets come and say, this is what's gonna happen, this is what's gonna change, this is what, a lot of us that fear change, we're like, oh my gosh, I don't know, oh my gosh, we become restless, oh, I don't know if I can do that, or I think I can do it. I'm gonna go out and do it tomorrow. And the reality is, is God is after what is going through your mind, and if your thoughts are fixed on him, in fact, he promised this, he will keep you in perfect peace if your thoughts are fixed on him. And the last statement here on what we need to do and, and how God can help us is we've got to choose complete obedience. It said that at the end, it said, since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, that means he's already, he's, he's fit you to win. We stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as we choose complete obedience. Some of us just need to choose complete obedience, complete surrender. I'm done doing it my own way. I'm gonna humble myself and recognize there is a God who cares about me, loves me, wants to solidify my identity in him, not my job, and I choose to obey him. And when we do this, we're given an invitation to gain a healthy perspective about who we are, why we're here, and how we need to do our life. I thought about this just in closing. Um, I spent so many years of my life struggling with insecurity and with pride. And I thought to myself, God, like, why is it that it seems to be an ongoing struggle? Just to sum up what I just said in terms of dealing with it. And the Lord said to me, Sharon, you're, you're trying to do it in your own strength. You feel so much shame because inwardly you judge that person. Or you feel so insecure and you're trying your best to stand up tall and be confident. Or you feel bad because whatever the case may be. And the Lord said to me, he said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to help you uproot this from your heart and your life. And I'm going to launch you into a season of wins. And you're going to know that it's because I am with you. And because I love you. And because I have a destiny for you. And because I desire to express my power through your life. So I had to put down all my effort in trying to make things happen, trying to free myself. And I had to begin to ask the spirit of God to help me go on a journey of following him out of it. And I want to pray for you. Can you stand to your feet this morning? I want to pray for you this morning. This is 100% of us. So I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to be like, stand. If, the, if you feel this is you and then two people stand, then the rest of you I'm going to look at it and say, well, lie. <laughs> Let's deal with pride. Because the reality is, is we are humans. And without Christ, we are subject to these antics that the enemy tries to get us stuck in. So i want you to raise your hands before god if you're comfortable father right now we just come and we just humble ourselves and father we say that we need you we recognize that without you god our best ditch effort is not an a and father i pray right now for those that have been so stuck in a stronghold, a thought pattern of pride or insecurity. Father, I pray for fresh grace in this season, in the next three months into the end of the year. Father, for a healthy, godly confidence to come over each and every one. Father, I pray for this issue of identity that some deal so deeply with where they don't know if there's a place at the table for them, where they struggle to see themselves clearly. God, I pray that you would begin through your word, begin to transform minds in a powerful way. Father, we know that we are in a time that we have not been in before. We know that you are saying things over us that seem so daunting and so big father you are the keeper of our hearts heal us mend us help us to rise up in the authority that you've created for us and in return we choose complete obedience and we thank you for that today in jesus name amen amen i want to tell you something you can take your seats and pastor Brendan's going to come I want to tell you something the Lord told me. He said, you, "He said, tell them that we're going to go into months of really seeing this thing for what it's worth. The Lord says, some of you are going to start to see your heart and your first response is going to be like, oh my gosh, I, my heart is so ugly. I, I didn't even know that was so deeply buried inside of me. The Lord says, don't worry about that. Just choose complete obedience. Choose him. Allow the spiritual weaponry to come as a tool to help you dismantle these things that the enemy wants to keep you in. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a next season of a lot of heart work for many of us as we grow into becoming all that God has for us.
0: Amen, amen, amen. All right, well, I just want to remind you of a few quick things and we're going to get everybody out of here. Wasn't that a great message? I I was telling you the truth, wasn't I? Convicting, challenging, encouraging, uh, just such a great word. Let's make sure with God's help that we're not just hearers of this word, but we're doers, amen? And I was joking in first service as well. I said that message gave me a wonderful gift because the next time my wife says she wants to fly first class, I will just say, you know, I think we need to embrace humility and, and just pay for coach in Jesus' name. And uh, so anyways, But we're thankful. I, 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 I'm not gonna lie though, we got we got like blessed with something after that, she got to go that one trip, we got blessed with something, we both got to go first class, it was kinda like one of those, and it was really, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? This is like a totally different experience on our way to Dubai. So seeker like, she's right, but I'm like, I'm not gonna tell her she's right, I'm not gonna tell her, so. Just as we go here today, first and foremost, we want to welcome any first-time guests who were with us today. Obviously, there was many people who joined us for the baby dedications. Thank you for coming and spending some time with us. You know, however you came here today, we're very thankful you could have been many places you chose to be here. What we want to ask is this, is when you go out those doors at the back, we have what we call a connect table. One of our team members is there. I believe it's Kamisha today, one of our amazing team members. We just would love to meet you get to know you a little better. Thank you for joining us. And we've got a free gift we want to give you, no strings attached, just something from us to you that says thank you for joining with us. Secondly, we also want to, as always, acknowledge our ongoing tithes and offerings that people now give throughout the week. Thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you so much for your obedience to the Lord. We do what we do, first obviously because of God's provision, but God works through each one of you. And so thank you for that. Let's continue to be filled with faith in our giving. And as always, I want to encourage you, if you've not yet taken that step of faith to open up the door of your finances to God through tithes and offerings and watch what he does, take that step of faith and see what God does in your life. And so I just want to encourage you guys in that. Let's just take a moment to pray over this. Father, in Jesus' name, just we thank you, God, for every person that sows, every person that gives. God, I thank you that we are distribution centers. You get it to us so you can get it through us. God, that we are going to be faithful with little and we will be rulers over much. And so we just thank you for your provision, for open doors, for favor, for all that you're doing, even as we give and we sow in Jesus' name. And the last but at least, we just want to remind you, obviously, it's kind of the summer lull. September, October, we're going to have lots of things happening at church. Stay tuned this week for an email for all of you on the mailing list. If not, you can get on the mailing list. It's going to give you more of an indication, obviously, of next several Sundays we'll be sharing what the fall's like. But parents, we do want to remind you for all of our students, grades 6 to 12, we have an end of summer kind of party, pool party hangout that's happening at the Brophy's residence. So that's going to be this coming Thursday. If you're between grades 6 to 12, you're welcome to come. It's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we got things taken care of, a lifeguard and everything. It's good, so it's going to be safe. It's going to be fun. No, know you want to get out to that, but sign up online so our team can be ready for you. And so we can make sure we have enough food and we have enough things in place. But other than that, I said one more thing, actually. I want to get you guys there. But if we just bow our head one last second. I want to give an opportunity today if there's anyone who's never given your life to Jesus. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus or maybe you used to follow Jesus and you fell away. The Bible teaches us that God loves us with everlasting love. We've been separated from the love because of sin. That's the bad news. And the bad news is because of sin, we deserve punishment. But the good news is this. Jesus came. He died. He rose again to give us freedom and to give us life. And so what I want to invite is, we're going to dismiss, but if you're in this place and you would like to pray with someone to give your life to Jesus or give your life back to Jesus, we're going to have some of our leaders here at the front. So as people are exiting, if you just want to come forward, come forward to the front. We'll have some team members that are here, and if I can get some of our connection leaders and just some others to be here at the front, we're just here to pray with you and just to stand with you in that. But other than that... We love you. God bless you guys. Again, welcome to all our guests who joined us and we're here. Congratulations again to the families that the babies dedicated. Have an amazing Sunday, amazing week. And as we finish out summer, that's well, a little sad for some of us, but fall is coming. But God bless you guys. Have an amazing day. Amen? Amen.